This is Resist and Renew. The UK-based podcast about social movements. What we're fighting for, why, and how it all happens. The hosts of the show are... Me, Kat. Uh, me, Sammy. And me, Ali. I'm recording this now, baby. Shit, it's a podcast! <laughs> <laughs> So, welcome everybody. Um, welcome back to the Resist and Renew podcast. Uh, Sammy and I are interviewing Panina Wangari Jones today from the Racial Justice Network, and we're really excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, a little bit about Panina. Panina Wangari Jones is an anti racist activist, organizer, and director of the Racial Justice Network, and is currently undertaking a PhD at the University of Manchester focusing on how coloniality shapes black activism. Panina was born and raised in Kenya. Her experiences of discrimination and racism after migrating to the UK became a catalyst for fighting for racial and social justice. She is interested in race equity, intersectionality, migration, coloniality, and internationalizing social movements. What a great list of things to be interested in. <laughs> so, so excited to see where we go from here. So thank you. Um, to kick us off, we would love to know a bit about the context you're organizing in. So like, what do you see as like the issues that are, are of yeah, like the most urgent or the most pressing things that you're focusing on right now? And how do you choose those things? Yeah, I think perhaps it just kind of fits all within the interest. And, um, so yeah, uh, race equity, race, um, um, raising, awa- uh, raising awareness about racism and stuff like that is kind of where we sit um, and it's more definitely the organisation but I know the organisation has been informed by like you say there a bit of my own journey um, so part of it right now I think as we know this, we've not just got Covid uh, we had the murder of George Floyd which was kind of more recent that just pushed a lot of things out there um, but we also know like um, in terms of the treatment of black and brown people um, it's it's kind of goes on centuries um, so the the choice to kind of uh, the question was around how do we tackle racism and um, because there was a sentiment that we kind of go into these spaces and everybody's talking about equality and diversity um, <laughs> That nobody's kind of really like bold or courageous enough to kind of go down the race route and mm-hmm. we felt a little bit of that was intentional but the consequences of that uh, we were feeling those consequences so mm-hmm. the desire to push um race and kind of make race like a bit more mainstream um was something that we wanted but also kind of to build solidarities across um so sometimes there's a feeling that if somebody's working on race they're just doing race as opposed to race and other oppressions and and struggles mm-hmm. so um it felt right and it felt fair to kind of really start to begin to connect these struggles in terms of if we're really interested in 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 tilting or dismantling the not just the white supremacy structures um but imperialism capitalism and all of that stuff we needed to kind of do the interconnectedness of race and class and you know uh migration gender sexual orientation and all of those things um, and and so and at the moment that's kind of where we are. That's what we do, and um, it's not been easy for sure. Um, 
but we also I think there was an uh, another angle maybe just to add was around how people who do I don't know not just equal opportunities and equality and diversity training um there was something about we were not really addressing the root cause of a lot of these things um so the desire to pull in colonialism uh, the desire to kind of talk about the enslavement of people was to say this is where it starts this is some of the root causes so we cannot just because we have the race act we have the equality act we have all sorts of things but they weren't really addressing what where is it that it comes from this fear anxiety hatred uh, treatment of people just on the basis of a where the born this you know um the color of the skin and things like that so um but there was also another angle of because the focus with we we have is is um we predominantly black and brown communities so i'd say 80 percent of our work is with those communities and and part of it was just being tired of being spoken for or you know assumptions or solutions are being made or started off elsewhere as opposed to coming from us in terms of what do we really want what do we consider uh way forward um, so uh, the, that angle of like mobilizing black and brown communities was somewhat unique at the time when we started. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what's made things different, including now what we see as what we're working on at the moment. It's definitely come from focusing on black and brown communities and then building outwards because there are people out there who care but who haven't known, including, because I mean, I'll talk about it later on, um, the allies. Um, who have wanted to but not sure what to do because not just mm-hmm. the PCness. So by opening this door of race analysis, race literature or race literacy, uh, we've we've allowed for people to step in and really begun to practice anti racism from somewhere where it really attacks and, and tackles the systemic stuff. Amazing. I'm uh curious about some i feel like there's some juicy stuff in the equality and diversity training stuff and i think maybe we'll circle back to that in a little bit um but you mentioned george floyd and obviously there's brianna taylor as well like a lot of like the murders in the u.s police police violence and the uprisings that have been happening in there and that's spread worldwide which has been fantastic and like amazing to watch and i'm also curious about what do you see as like different to the US here in the UK what's like how does racism or white supremacy show up in the UK and like what's what's the similar similarities and what are the differences you see here yeah that's a really good question I think I should know it like it should just roll off my tongue now because I've been asked that question so many times um because I, I, but I say the difficulty with the UK is the fact that racism is quite subtle and and mm. We're also quite good at pointing to the US, where A, people are dying at the hands of the police um, and other white supremacists, um, um, including Ahmed. Um, but um, so over here, it's different because there's the niceties that we see. But in terms of kind of if we look at um, um, white supremacy as a kind of prism, we kind of focus and think of racism as the overt stuff as opposed to the covert stuff like policies, like treatments that you have or you experience when you're kind of getting around employment, housing and, and all of those things. I think a bigger part has, has been the fact that the UK, not just the education system, has completely ignored and whitewashed or distorted the history of mm. empire, the history, colonial history in terms of the harms that happened 
uh, that continue to impact until today. Um, the harms that continue on in terms of uh, treaties that were signed um, that mean that corporations are still like completely ruling over uh, debt that the you know the, the majority world have uh, relating to that colonial legacy. So when we we see migrations not just connected to conflicts that were started by um, um, you know like the the implications around the colonial legacy, uh, the divide and conquer, divide and rule. We also see, for example, climate damage or climate mm -hmm. people having to being forcibly displaced because of climate. When they come here, there's a sentiment that, oh, we should be grateful that we're here, as opposed to actually that mm -hmm. here has had a big role to play in the fact that we're coming back, whether it's industrialization and the damage to the climate and whatever else. So we talk about climate debt. Um, so that in itself, so by the time you come here, you're almost... The, the system itself treats you so badly. So we, we, we work a lot with communities who um, are seeking asylum, are destitute, are refugees, and, and, and that just going through the process is one of the most in, de humiliating, dehumanizing thing ever. And that's because you're not coming in almost as entitled. And for me, because um, I talk about my own family history, my granddad was... Um, um, he was resisting the occupation in Kenya. I grew up in Kenya, as you said before. And, and there is a part of me that really feels I have every right to be here. Our ancestors contributed to this, you know, gold-paved pavements, as, as some politicians would like to see it. Um, so we come here and we, we are entitled, or we should be entitled, to some of whatever it is that is here. But when you come and you have the policies, so... In the U.S., you might be, yes, the police have guns and they'll do whatever they need to do or what they feel they ought to do, which is not right. Uh, but over here, we have policies. We're just killing people in the same manner. You know, we've had deaths, for example, in Scotland, Manchester. People migrated and held in these horrible conditions. People who can't work, people who can't. And it kind of deteriorates, not just your mental well-being, but everything else around you because you think... Parents who come and a demasculated because you can't work and you can't provide for your family and you're living on five pound a week. But then that what do you do? You punch down. So then you have cases of domestic abuse and then because of the hostile environment, people women can't leave or men can't leave because I know domestic violence kind of works both ways. And they're stuck in there. The children in the middle of it. Uh, what do they do? Because they're growing up in the system. Uh, or seeing the parents in this manner. So the, the damage continues in quite a big way. So, yeah, the question on we see and we point to the U.S., and again, we know now we're coming up to uh, Black History Month where, again, the focus of activism and people who challenge the system is usually on the U.S., and for me, there's the other flip side because, it, A, it makes us think nothing's ever happened here um, for that needed uh, icons or activism to resist. Uh, but on the other hand, it kind of continues that pattern of things are only as bad as it could be over there as opposed to here. Um, and, I, and I wish, because for me, I think the slow subtleness when you're having to second guess, we know when, when I experience it, I know what it is I'm experiencing. Going to prove the reason that sense is, is really hard. And I think that can take from you, continue to kind of uh, take out of you for, for quite a while. And, and I think that's what needs to stop. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I was uh, I was reading a book earlier today, the book uh, Feminism Interrupted, um, really, like came out quite recently, and 
if I was the kind of person that could remember quotes, there's a really good quote in that about the thing you were just talking about. But I can't remember quotes. Maybe I'll look it up later and then we'll seamlessly edit it in. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think it'd be really useful to hear, uh, Penina, from you about... Um, your role within, you work within and organize within the Racial Justice Network. If you could say a little bit about what the Racial Justice Network does and um, what kind of stuff you've got going on. So our, our, our vision, um, um, which is kind of very mouthy or kind of long, is, is holistic, economic, spiritual, environmental and cultural repairs uh, to end um, race injustice and address colonial legacies and that in itself I know it's kind of quite condensed but it's really how do we end racial injustice or at least make a way towards ending racial injustice and we do this obviously by kind of proactively promoting racial justice and I know I mentioned a little bit earlier about mobilizing uh, black and brown communities but other you know communities around to kind of do and change things um, we we kind of I think I, I also mentioned about how we have race at the core uh, of the work and then how it intersects with other other struggles other identities and and the way we see and have seen this really manifest itself it's not a case of kind of continuing the victimization of black and brown communities or migrant communities we see a sense of like also celebrating the resilience because and again, I'm not good at quotes either, but there's a guy who um, who gives this kind of like a real long uh, example of how people survived. You know, when you talk about it, they took the best. You know, this is kind of, he was, he was talking about enslavement and, you know, the people who were picked and kind of forced into these ships. And, you know, and then he talks about only the best could survive and only the best could survive. So the journey itself, you land, you get there you kind of, you're not just sold, but then you work in all these conditions, and it's almost a case of only the best could survive. And and for me, when you kind of imagine all the all the horrible experiences that people have because it's socioeconomic conditions that people are escaping from, people crossing the Mediterranean, going through Libya and the desert, for example, Mediterranean, you survive that. Then you survive the back of, like, uh, the, the, the lorries and kind of fr freezers and all of that stuff and you so all of that by the time you get here yes the system really beats you down because it ties your hands tells you can't work um, you, we're going to give you this horrible accommodation you can't speak up anybody can come in whenever we don't care about whether you kind of been tortured and raped and all of that stuff but the resilience in those communities because what we see we work for example obviously we're in the north of england we work with communities in halifax in bradford in leeds and when you see how the people flourish despite these conditions um is something worth really like pushing out so it's not so much focusing on the victimization or all poor us it's kind of really pushing on on the resilience so we we, we do a lot of training and and the training is really to upskill on okay how do we you know how do we push back how do we how do we channel how do we do you know all uh, channel our anger our frustration our energy to really build forward and build uh, good good um so we kind of do that we we also kind of 
take up spaces in forming and, and influencing in terms of decision-making spaces. So we do that only, again, for the same reason of not wanting to be spoken for. So if I go in, maybe it might be a couple of meetings before I uh, you know, encourage somebody else to come with me or I say that this space is really not safe for me, it'd be better if somebody else came along. And we kind of do that where we're building our capacities in the spaces because those people who've not just migrated are not coming to just leave. I know, obviously, there's the detention, these people were deported, but that's a small number compared to the people who actually settle here. So, and it's kind of really embracing what um, um, the kind of Ubuntu, um, which is a kind of South African sentiment of I am because we are, and, and kind of pushing back on these collectivities and having spaces where we can connect with each other because we know capitalism um, is about individual, it's about individual wealth, individual everything. And, and by pushing on the collectives and communities, it's countering that, but it's also the communities that you can repair and you can heal and you can nourish from. Um, and it's about participating because when you, you're not allowed to do anything and just sit on your hands and you've not even got tellies and things like that, it takes from you. So, um, so yeah, so we kind of build capacity, continuously building capacity. We also do media like this, you know, um, where we are able to share perspectives, to talk about the things that we're doing, um, but also kind of reach and inform other people beyond our kind of immediate circle. Um, and, and that seems to, obviously, like in terms of campaigns, I could name a few, uh, because I know I've spoken about um, going and looking beyond, but internationalism and pushing internationalism is one of the things that we really wanted and have managed to do. So I've been very lucky, obviously, not so much this year, but in a few years before where I've connected with groups and been in, in uh, part uh, to, to kind of Brazil and connected with women in Brazil, women in movement, um, who, are, who are not just in the Amazon, in the Quilombolos and, and, um, and again in Kenya. And now, beginning of, uh, earlier this year, uh, actually it was last year that we went and started doing about decolonizing education. And then this year we went and did a whole week of action around decolonizing education because I, I think it was a very few opportunities I had to say what did I learn in my school years because um, what I learned was not the history of resistance. It's not about not you know amazingness or the awesomeness of our you know communities that existed before the colonizers stepped foot. It was it's different stories, Livingstones and da da da, but not even African people. So we were able to go back and kind of begin those works. And we feel like we, as, as again, people in the global north, we need to be continuously doing that because those communities who are outside in the majority world, in the global south, haven't got some of the resources that we have. But we also learn from them uh, in terms of not just resilience, but methods of doing things. And this kind of goes again to the conversation around uh, climate movement and, and environmentalism because sometimes the solutions that we seek are very much from Eurocentric or elitist or classist uh, as opposed to really working with people who've been connected to the land, who've been and doing these things much longer. We need to be learning from them. So for us, the exchange is kind of been vital. Um, we're also working currently on a campaign called Stop the Scan, which is I uh, try not kind of explain all of it, but maybe suggest at the end to people to go look on the website. Um, but it's amazing. It's about it's about the police uh, who introduce biometrics where they're able to fingerprint people um, when and th these biometrics mm -hmm. have contact to the Home Office as well as the criminal record, and that 
for us, again, we're talking about black and brown migrant communities, uh, trans communities, the impact that has because the police have power. If they doubt your identity, then they can mm. fingerprint you. And the consequences of that, as we said, is not just detention, it's death, it's deportations, it's death. Uh, we are also doing some other work around 13th, which again I've, I've alluded to about climate, and 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 the 13th recommendation as 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 a campaign is really pushing on three elements on really acknowledging colonial legacies within the climate movement. I think part of us were tired of saying, oh, why is the climate movement white and 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 all of that, and we were like, it's because they don't understand the interconnectedness of the struggles. But they also don't understand if you're not talking for or you're not even uh, regarding me in your conversation why do i need to come in and step in there when a we also understand the struggles that some of the people have in terms of jobs so when um or or, or precarious not just conditions that they're living in which means they're not able to step in so pushing on the 13th at the moment which we're launching on the 13th of october um, has been to, to bring in the international perspective of colonial legacies, uh, activist solidarity, and, and, and really looking at the interconnectedness of, of struggles. So to see climate justice as social justice um, as well. Um, um, I think, oh yeah, one final project, which I kind of said I, I might mention, is, is um, called Unlearning Racism Collective, and that's also emerged um, out of exhaustion of teaching and talking to white people about racism and it was almost like okay white people need to do their own learning white people need to do their own unlearning and not at a cost of the black and brown people so we designed courses uh, or a modular course uh, where they could kind of do the checking in with each other um, and what started off as just something small and just training packages become something quite huge um, and I think because, again, unfortunately, with George Floyd, George Floyd's murder, we had uh, overwhelmed with people who wanted to learn and who wanted to kind of get involved in our trainings. And uh, we've ended up now delivering a course, a webinars for over, we had over a thousand people register for our course. Uh, we what was usually quite small, tiny courses because we try and make them as interactive as possible because it's mm. about the learning needs to deepen. So it's not just talking at people. And then we were like, okay, we can't do this with a thousand people. And we pulled in as many resources as we could, but we ended up doing webinars. So we delivered to about 600 people. And now we're kind of now stepping to a phase of like really looking, but really not just to talk about the course, is we've seen the fruits of that work in the two years that we've been doing it in terms of the learning that the, 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 the people who've kind of taken on the anti-racism practice, because it's not just about knowing not how not to mess up, it's about what you do with that learning. And that's, we've seen that kind of working full, kind of full, fully, and, and that's what we want to kind of maybe encourage others to do. Um, but yeah, I'll stop there. I'm a bit in awe of all those things. <laughs> it was a very, it was like, a very long list. <laughs> and they all sound so like deep and well thought through. Like lots of lots of groups have lots of things they do, but these sound well thought through, grounded in like community, grounded in experience, a lot of like connection between the people and yeah, linking that to like structural things. That's like pretty special <laughs> it's amazing but you are making our jobs very difficult because we have to pick which things we talk about and we'd like to talk about all of them and that makes it a struggle ali do you have a thought about how we delve into 
some of those things that Panina's been raising. I mean, I think, I think you talked about mobilizing like black and brown communities, and I think that's something that, you know, the people who are seen as the movement don't necessarily be seen as those communities. So I'd be curious to like, how did those kind of, how is your mobilization process work, and like, what specific, like, which of these amazing list of programs do you find you have like specific demands on and are working towards like yeah shifting something mm. can i maybe ask a, a kind of related question to that it's probably bad form to give you two questions at once uh but i think it's kind of related to ali's question is of all of those things like how did you decide which of those things to work on like how do you decide as a group which things to work on like do you have kind of like is the group is racial justice network like a crew of people and then like these ideas are like coming out of the relationship and discussion amongst yourselves or is it like these are ideas that come out of like coalition work like where do these ideas come from um well um we do a lot of listening um so for me i think maybe the beginning part of all of this is listening so um and, and I think that's what kind of makes the work just expand and expand. And then we kind of try and put into boxes of like, you know, um, yeah, strategizing or and, and then putting them into boxes and thinking, OK, this is this is what this is and this is what this looks like. Um, but just just in terms of so just as an example, we, we delivered a, a campaign course and we wanted the campaign course to just have black and brown people. And, and the reason for that was we not just for avoiding the gaze, but we wanted people who really know this. I don't know whether I can swear, but I was going to say shit happens. But people know this stuff goes on, uh, rather as opposed to kind of trying to convince them and kind of going into a, yeah, but what if? Um, so we kind of put the people who stepped up, I think in the end we had about 40 people in the training courses for about six months. Um, mm. But why not? So we were kind of doing the power mapping and power analysis and, and kind of movement kind of histories, but we were asking people to bring in ideas of other movements. And what was really interesting is hearing of movements that none of us have come across when you read books here, mm. because people coming, you know, I know I was talking about the Mau Maus and somebody else was talking about something else in South Africa, somebody else, you know. Um, but towards the end of the course, rather than learn and then go, okay, now you learn how to do campaigning goodbye kind of thing. We wanted people to bring an idea in and we were going to work on it as we did the campaign course. So our work, for example, with G4S, uh, resisting G4S emerged from that because the people who are on the course were living in G4S properties. So then it was a case of, okay, uh, we kind of prioritize who thinks what do you think? And then we, we started. Obviously, it took a while where we ended up like actually dropping a charter uh, and this particular two women started a women's group, which obviously RGN supported, uh, ended up having like 50 people who attend this camp, you know, this women's group on a Monday, led by women who are going through the asylum process for women, can I call Sisters United. They ended up getting national awards because of this. Um, but from just doing that campaign and going through the procedure of involving the community local churches, uh, involving the local council, and telling them of the conditions that people living in asylum G4S accommodation were living in, who they were shocked, first of all. But then they've gone on to do much more things, like, you know, challenge the schools who say, oh, you can wear, you don't have to wear your uniform and you can come in uh, and pay a pound. And actually, there's, you know, parents who can't afford a pound when you're on five pound a day, which means your child sticks out. 
Um, so then they're going in and joining the PAs and, and the boards and they're saying, we can't do this. So we've seen some real changes in there, but a lot of it begins with the kind of listening. We have a sentiment for centering the most marginalised um, uh, and, and in that way, you feel like you're not least likely to leave anybody out. And this is not oppression Olympics. It's not about necessarily around identity politics. But if you really kind of look at the things that you're working on from multiple angles, um, it, you're le least likely to leave anybody. And, and what we've done, because we, we then began to do like monthly meetings, which we do even now, uh, obviously now we're doing them online, the black and brown spaces, and was... And, and collective conversations, which is again, you pick a topic, you pull people in and you talk about it, is deep learning that emerges because somebody might come in who's a Muslim, who has no idea what it means to kind of experience homophobia. And, but when we're in the spaces and we're learning, so the, the, the sessions are usually led by people of lived experience. So, but the learning that emerges out of it is we really see that actually there's a structure, there's something that's pulling us apart from each other as opposed to it's just me and you or it's just my issue and I don't care about anybody else's issue. So I think that's definitely something that's worked. We've seen by doing this exchange learnings on different struggles and we've been able to really understand from each other's perspective and really recognize, okay, I don't have to be of that particular experience to have compassion or to stand in solidarity with. And that's the way we felt that the group has moved forward and, and kind of moved as a collective. So, uh, in, so in terms of how we pick the things, it's really whoever comes in. And I'll just give one final example of something that we've done again. And this was after COVID was announced, um, or the lockdown was announced. So this is one of the most recent, I didn't even talk about this one, but this is one of the most recent campaigns that we kind of went on. And, and, and yeah, and maybe in response to your answer, a lot of this, so Adrian is quite small, but uh, we probably work with about 50 odd people. Majority of them are volunteer members. So um, it's only this year actually funding that's kind of allowed for us to employ more than me because it's just been me working for quite a long time. Uh, but now there's a bit of a growing team. But the people who step who step forward, who continue to give, who continue to kind of show up for, uh, is the community. And and it's because we also work quite holistically as well. So it's not just about what you're bringing into the room. It's also we understand when you're down, we're kind of there for you as well. So because uh, I think understanding, especially when people who are experiencing all these harms and stuff, the mental well-being is not always like. 100%. So I know we kind of have spaces for when you're able to come and when you're not able to, you don't have to, you don't feel obliged to, you're not kicked out or anything like that. Um, so yeah, the COVID thing was real, I think, a recognition because we also, I'm also involved in a lot of um, strategic spaces with the council and others. And it was the moment that happened, it was like, oh yeah, we're going to do food parcels and we're going to provide this number and get people to ring it. And now like, not everybody's going to ring that number. So we began, again, the group of us, the org different organisers who kind of all doing and working within some of this. We said, OK, we're going to ring, ring, ring people that are, and ask them what, what is, what's showing up in their community. And that's, for us, it was like the within a week of lockdown was, 
yeah, digital divide was quite there. You know, one, you know, a woman who has four children and only has one phone, how is she now going to support these children to do, you know, homework? Uh, somebody who's in, they've not recently arrived, they don't even understand what the kids do at school, somehow they're supposed to support them. People who have who are living in accommodation where they haven't got television, they haven't got internet, and they're locked out completely. And then they all that miscommunication. So we launched uh, a campaign to really ask communities to donate. So we wanted to find um, activity books, puzzles, things like that, that we can provide and give to kids in their homes and families and adults as well. And then people donated money, and with the money we were able to buy phones, like cheap phones, but at least they were, you know, you're able to kind of go online and, and, and also provide credit. And I think the phone credit was one that we had to. So in the end, we reached about maybe 600 people uh, locally, families and children. And, um, and yeah, again, that begins with the listening. So even though now we've got, uh, can, can we build a campaign around it from receiving these things and giving these things out, We've, we were liaising with community advocates who do it for nothing, who are also perhaps not even employed, not even um, got status, and and what they've so they were our doors to those communities. So now we're starting to pull these community advocates together to kind of for lobbying purposes. That's kind of what's happening at the moment, but that emerged out of COVID. So yeah, the work. Mm. It, it works well, I think, uh, in some ways, but it also it can be quite overwhelming uh, at the times as well. so amazing like to reach 600 people all mostly on volunteer work and in the middle of a pandemic responding to people's needs it's it's amazing like so so amazing um yeah and i really like what you're saying around like how listening was like a really core factor in like how all these campaigns have come together all these projects have come together and i feel like Alongside listening, you've mentioned a few other values like taking care for each other and the idea of Ubuntu. Um, and I, it feels it feels very evident that you do live these values. And I'm I'm curious, like, how do you feel like you put these values into practice with internally within within the groups that you're you're part of and the the people who are working through the network? Yeah, I think well. Partly it's because even though, because I, I, in some ways I feel like it's just too much, um, but in others I feel like I'm quite lucky that I get to work and 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 do what I do. Um, um, but when I'm any other, 
when I'm out there, um, I'm, I'm a black woman. So I'm just as vulnerable in terms of when I'm out and about, when I'm trying to, you know, in the shop or um, parking, whatever. Um, so I think that I have the constant reminders of, of what it is that I'm fighting for as well. I think working on kind of, as you say, grassroots and working with, directly with these communities, I'm also constantly reminded of, because I can whinge and say, oh my God, you know, lockdown, da da da, I've not been able to see people and all that. And then you kind of have a chat with somebody who, who, like, not just the journey, but what they're going through. And I think that for me is a constant reminder, uh, a constant reminder of what it is that we want to change in terms of migration policies, in terms of um, um, policing and, and, and how policing works in terms for the black and brown communities employment, housing, you know, even health, because, you know, some people have conditions, and we know, for example, um, mental health, and this kind of like links in with an article I wrote some time back about decolonizing mental health, the treatment that people get, which, so when you hear these stories, I think for me, it's like, yeah, I cannot rest, I can't, it's not, I can't chill, it's not done, the work needs to be done, uh, but I'm also experiencing them um, at the same time in terms of um, the multiple oppression of what it means to be a, a black female immigrant, as as kind of I'm constantly reminded not to say migrant is immigrant, um, living in the UK in this kind of day and age, um, and so yeah, so th those things I'm I don't I'm not able to escape from, um, but we 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 really honour and and hold on to the lived experience as as um, as as expertise. And because I know sometimes we have experts uh, learned who come in and tell you things that no we value so that in terms of hierarchy of 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 what's more important lived experience you cannot play or mess with that and um, and I know a lot of it kind of comes with trauma and 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 those traumas can sometimes kind of distort views can but we have to acknowledge them as well so um, one of the things we really hold on to is about being open to learning. Uh, I know where I am now is not where I was five years ago in terms of my own kind of race consciousness, how I exist and how I do things. So, but I'm I'm learning and 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 being patient with people because kind of we have this thing of like thinking on a scale of one to ten, where are you? And 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 some of us, and I think this is a problem we have within movements of somebody who's on a two uh, engaging with somebody on a seven. The seven is like has no patience whatsoever. And it's really like recognizing we need more of us to really, if we're really interested in changing systems, we need more of us. And it's kind of having that patience of, of growing with and growing as others are growing as well. Um, and, and ensuring that the work is intersectional. I talked about having, uh, ensuring that kind of we center the most marginalized. But for me, there's no way you can kind of think or see liberation for example, of, of racism, if we're not looking at patriarchy, if we're not looking at kind of heteronormativity, if we're not looking at... So we have to do all of these things at the same time. And, 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 and for us, that's what matters, and that's what's made the work that we do really re relevant to communities who are often excluded from other spaces because of one thing or another. Um, and, and I think the struggles with that... Uh, obviously, the more radical you are, the less likely you are to be funded. And, and I know we've experienced that. So we've survived on very little for the years that we've been doing what we've been doing. But it almost 
it did matter in a way because there's sacrifices I know personally that I've had to do and make because just to hold the organization and grow the organization uh, but I also know where we, if we if that was if I was pushing and asking and demanding money at first before any of this is the organization won't be here right now so th- there has been struggles like that there's also struggles of you know working with different personalities and egos as well because you often get those uh, that jump in the movement who are there to kind of not just make names for themselves but do things that are quite harmful um mm-hmm. you know ones the ones who want to be on the mics and and kind of not really have the good at mobilizing but really don't understand how to really organize and ensure that you're pushing people forward as opposed to you being the front and and all of that so um and I think a big part, and this is more for me, I, I can't speak for everybody everybody else in the organization, is really relying on my gut uh, in terms of how I operate because there's things you sense that you won't even have words for. Why, is, uh, why don't I want to go here? Why don't I want to work with this person in a way or reading this article and I just, just don't want to put my name to it? So, um, so yeah, there's, there's lots of that. Um, and people who kind of do like performative solidarities as well. So there is kind of harms that we've learned and we're kind of constantly like down on the floor, back up again, uh, you know, back on the floor again. But um, but I think on a big and a general kind of point of view, um, but ensuring that sentiment about knowing that I'm constantly learning and, and, and engaging with others in a way that's coming with compassion, even if people mess up, because I mess up, and I know I would, and I probably would do again. Um, it's doing it with compassion as opposed to writing people off, because I know we need more of us. I can't just be, oh, we need to be perfect. Um, and I think that's kind of what made things maybe more, um, including staying radical and true to our roots, because you can sell your soul to the devil, you know, and end up, you know, you gain that thing, that position, and then actually you lose the community. So we've, we've had to be very clear, for example, not even now, where whose funding we're getting from, because there's funding that will say no to as kids as we are. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. I just wanted to point out my my neck is hurting because I'm nodding along so much. I'm like so <laughs> so into this, <laughs> and it's like a lot of what you're saying is like things that I could read and like understand in abstract terms, but just the ways that you're saying it sound, I can just get a sense that it's like from experience and from like relationships that mm. is like so much richer than like like putting a, a value a random value out like listening is important and then like marginalized people should be centered like yeah loads of people say that but the way that you're saying it and like that it's grounded in those relationships just feels like 100 percent different mm. um so we're, we're kind of winding up now and of all the amazing stuff that you've mentioned that you're doing if someone is listening to this podcast and they're like how do I get involved or how do I uh, support the work of the Racial Justice Network? What should they do? Like, how can, how can people help out and support, support this great work? Yeah, I think that the typical one where you say to people is follow us so you can see some of the work that we're doing uh, and, and, yeah, and hope that not just learning from me. But I think there's an aspect also of, like, of acknowledging us um, uh, or acknowledging because a lot of this stuff is obviously um, it's created it's kind of hybrid and, and I know obviously 
uh, I've learned lots from other spaces and I've, I've given lots to other spaces but what it is that we have now is kind of hybrid of teams taking on from like train, direct education training and organising mm-hmm. training da, da, da. Um, but acknowledging um, uh, I think goes a long way in terms of feeling like uh, it's, it's not just taken from and, and people go and do and replicate um, we have a, we, we tend to kind of also like where people have donated we did see uh, a surge in donations um, obviously not to the extent of kind of other people who put word out because we didn't put word out just people kind of came to us and donated uh, mm-hmm. but that's also really effective and has been useful including like the donations to us because we when we I should have explained when we've done the unlearning racism for white groups we've asked for payment they, but the majority of the work that we or, or the trainings but majority of the work that we deliver to black and brown is kind of being for free because most of our communities don't even have the fees and the money to pay for it. Um, so what we have now, even with the donations that we get in coming in, it goes on to do the work for the communities that are not able to be paid for the accessibility because some of the communities have not even got the bus fares. Uh, we would do kind of dinners where we kind of we used to bring and share, but we also want to provide a little bit of food. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that money that comes in actually goes in to do other work. Um, uh, so yeah, um, but also kind of to invite, I'm grateful that I'm here doing this now and having this conversation uh, to share some of our work, but it's good to, yeah, we ask people if they have platforms where they can showcase, they can celebrate and where we can reach more people, then definitely um, um, do that as well. And I know, <laughs> I say, because I know sometimes people say, yeah, what can I do or can you can you come in and, and do this training? And I, at the same time as I'm saying this, get us to invite us to our platforms. I'm thinking we are so stretched at the moment and we keep pushing things like three months from now, maybe, you know. Um, but they, we had, we did at one point when we started thinking, we were thinking of, because it, it's, it's very rare, and I know this uh, also as a person who's studying and doing PhD on coloniality and studying black activism, it's very rare to find not just black-led organisations um, mm. But also the kind of the, the the issues we face is being in the north because in terms of the narrative or we of being outnumbered by the far right by the resources that tend, tend mm. to be kind of London centric and all of that. Um, um, so there is other adversities that we face just as an organisation being in the north. Um, but so yeah, to kind of but we did have in mind like what we have done and what we have now is really unique as not just as a project program of work the, the everything else that exists in between and the people we're engaging we're able to reach like huge numbers um so we did think one day i wonder whether we could open chapters in different places if people want to replicate what we are doing uh, but maybe that's for for another for another time but yeah the, the, the concept of kind of being anti-colonial or anti-imperialist anti-capitalist and kind of really tackling patriarchy and all the other normativities I put in quotes that exist out there is is not very I don't see it very often and I think um, it'd be good to kind of meet and maybe have more and engage with other organizations who are doing that so we are also happy to share some of our models uh, to people who are interested in doing this 
because the, the one thing again I should I should mention with the unlearning racism course it is accountable um, to us and I think we have seen people who start things um, and that they don't have any accountability processes for us the reason why this course has been also unique is because it's it's accountable to a black organization as opposed to existing by itself so I think mm -hmm. sharing models like this with other people and other spaces is is something that we'd want to do not just because we want to be famous it's because we think we've seen the results in the short time that we've existed and we'd like to do and and reach more um in terms of even beyond borders because we're doing amazing work now in kenya and and i know that the solidarity with groups in vaccine in brazil um but i imagine there's more that could be done Incredible. i think there's always more that can be done but i think if uh if I were an external facilitator brought into a racial justice network strategy day, I feel like what I'd be saying would be more, wow, you've got a lot on. <laughs> Maybe less rather than more. But I love the ambition. Um, I think it's just so heartening to see uh, so many, like Ali was saying before, so many projects that are just so grounded in relationships, so grounded in experience, so grounded in organizing. It's just, it's beautiful. Bringing hope to a... Uh, an ever uh, gloomier world, especially now we're past the equinox. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is all of our questions, but is there anything you would like to say that we haven't asked about? Is there something uh, you'd like to add? Any other secret projects you've been hiding up your sleeve? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no secret project, but I just, I think there was a question about why we do or why I do what I do. And I, and, and for me, it feels like I didn't choose the work, the work chose me. So mm. maybe a lot of us, including you guys uh, and, and um, out there, in not just in Resistance Renew, but um, other spaces, there's many people who kind of get chosen by the work as opposed to, yeah, so I just wanted to throw that in and and I'm grateful mm. for you both uh, for having me here. Um, yeah, that's all. Mm. So so grateful for you coming and very much feel pulled to like learn more from you and like if there are spaces that we can yeah do some more connecting that that would be amazing. I really like to dig into some of those models and some of those mm. all the all the things you've been talking about. I've just been like. I want to learn it. I want to see it. <laughs> well, you you offered Penina, so <laughs> we are going to take you up on that offer. Okay. Thanks once again to Penina Warangari-Jones for joining us from the Racial Justice Network. You can follow the, their work on Instagram at the Racial Justice Network, on Twitter at Race Justice, and on their website, which is racialjusticenetwork.co.uk This week we also had music from Screaming Toenail with their song White Saviour, which is on their new release, Growth. You can find them on Bandcamp and on social media. Thanks as always to Klaus for letting us use the song Neff for our backing track. If you're wanting to find out more about Resist and Renew as a training and facilitation collective, we're at resistrenew.com and you can support the work of producing this podcast there as well. Thanks for listening and see you next time.